With technology, creativity, and the right inspiration, it is possible to build a better mousetrap, even when it comes to growing vegetables and shortening the supply chain. You'll hear from CEO Eddie Badrina how his company, Eden Green, has innovated an amazing technology that saves water and minimizes environmental impact while making it possible to grow farm-to-table local produce on a huge scale that doesn't have to travel thousands of miles and can be on grocery store shelves in hours, not days. On this episode of Making Our World Better. Welcome to the Making Our World Better podcast, where you will find motivation and encouragement through lively conversations with inspirational people who every day are making our world a better place. Now, here's your host, Jay Clark. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jay Clark, and I'm excited to have a conversation with Eddie Badrina, Chief Executive Officer of Eden Green, located in Cleburne, Texas, which is just south of Fort Worth. Over the past 20 years, Eddie's career has encompassed entrepreneurial, corporate, and government roles. In 2019, Eddie took over as CEO of Eden Green, which through its vertical farming technology stack is changing the way we farm our produce and feed our communities. There are multiple benefits from this technology, including wasting less and saving more, and I can't wait to get into all of it. Eddie is a graduate of Texas A&M University, Go Aggies, and the Bush School of Government and Public Service. He volunteers his time at Watermark Church and is on the board of directors at Seed Effect, an economic development nonprofit, Igniter Media, a media production company, and is a past board member of the Great Investors' Best Ideas Foundation Investment Symposium. Eddie, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'll start off simple. Tell me how you would describe Eden Green to somebody that doesn't know anything about it. Man, uh, from a, from just from a third grader level, think about a greenhouse. So um, these greenhouses are 18, 24 feet tall. Right. Right. And an acre, acre and a half under roof. So think of an entire warehouse, but totally transparent. Top, sides, everything is totally transparent. That's how big one of our greenhouses are. And then in those greenhouses are... 18 foot vertical towers full of greens. Wow. So if you go 18 feet up and you go an acre and a half in, in square footage, what you end up getting is around 328,000 plant spots oh within one, gosh. within one and a half acres. That's how to best describe it. I think there's a lot of, um, I was just talking with someone yesterday and he kept on saying, oh man, so, okay, is it like a container? Is it, and he just kept on going back to containers. It was just, you know, right. I think, I think people, you know, in, who think about uh, vertical farming or think about indoor farming, think of those containers. And mm-hmm. I would say, hey, take your mind out of that container and put it into a warehouse. But then the warehouse is totally transparent, translucent. It lets in a, a, all the sunlight you could possibly ever let in. Uh, and then you've got huge towers, 18, 18 foot towers in there. So the visuals are awesome. You got to go to their website and check it out. The visuals are incredible because when you think of a greenhouse, you're just thinking of everything horizontal, right? But Correct. then you go into to Eden Green and it's all these vertical things. So what kind of spawned this idea for this technology? So actually the the story, the origin story, if you will, yeah. uh, is quite compelling. So that's the, my CTO and CIO were the original inventors of this technology. They're two brothers out of South Africa. Wow. Jacques and Eugene are their names. And Jacques and Eugene uh, were feeding uh, their some 
in their neighborhood were feeding uh, kids, had bounce houses, had candy, were passing them out. And this one five-year-old kid was stuffing food in his pockets. And they said, hey, slow down. You know, there's enough for everyone. You don't need to hoard. And they asked his teacher, hey, what's his story? And his teacher actually said, well, he's bringing it home to his three-year-old sister because it's her day to eat and not his day. And so that for them was something that not just, you know, pulled on their heartstrings, but it really caused them to take action. And so they started developing and thinking about just the concept of, hey, how can we grow greens really efficiently? Um, And then how, you know, what did plants look like in the Garden of Eden? And so that's where the genesis of the the name Eden Green comes from, right? cool. So fast forward about seven years, uh, they brought it to the United States to, uh, for commercialization and just to, to get what they, I would call the, the technical proof of concept out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I came on board in 2019 to help build out the commercial proof of concept, the, you know, go to market strategy, find product market fit build a sales team and then, and then go commercialize this. So that's, that's what I've been doing for the past two and a half years. That's fantastic. So, you know, you came on right before the pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, one of the big issues of the, the, the pandemic created was supply chain issues. And one of the things I think I find fascinating about what you guys are doing is how you've able to, to shorten the supply chain. So talk to us a little bit about how that all goes. Yeah, so I'll give I'll give you and your listeners just the the current state of affairs, right, and yeah. the, the challenges of those. So uh, right now, you know, uh, lettuce, for instance, just lettuce, mm-hmm. not leafy greens, not herbs, not none of that. Cooking greens, just sheerly right. lettuce, iceberg romaine, and and call it butter lettuce, leaf lettuce, is a nine billion dollar domestic industry. That's with a B. That's with a B. Jeez. Just lettuce. Just lettuce. And those $9 billion worth of lettuce, $8 billion roughly comes from two spots in the United States. Wow. Salinas Valley, California and Yuma, Arizona. And if any of your listeners know just even the most basics about environmental and supply chain problems, they'll understand yeah. Yuma and Salinas are both uh, very water district restricted. They're in a super drought mm-hmm. and they're both 1500 miles away from where we are in Dallas and 3000 miles away from the East coast. Right. So, so what you're telling me is the current, the current issue is we are getting our lettuce nine times out of 10, if you're on the East coast, you're getting your lettuce from a literal desert in Yuma or a water starved labor intensive area in Salinas Valley. And it's shipped 3000 miles to your grocery store so that you can have it last in your uh, fridge for four days. I'm going to say that kind of redefines fresh, doesn't it? Right. Not sustainable economically. Right. Not sustainable environmentally. Uh, and it just puts immense pressure on our infrastructure. Right. So there's got to be a better way. And that's what we're trying to solve. So then the next step is, well, you know, aren't there greenhouses already and aren't there vertical farms? And the the both of those 
uh, have their pros and both of those have definite cons. Mm -hmm. So the flat tray greenhouses that you mentioned at the very beginning of uh, of the show, uh, they're very common, especially in the Netherlands and in France, but here in the United States too. And they're just square footage under glass right. Right, of greenhouses flat. Greenhouse, what everybody right. thinks of a greenhouse, greenhouse. Everyone thinks of a greenhouse. The problem is with those greenhouses is in order to get um, sort of the, the economics right, right? In order for them to be profitable greenhouses uh, at scale, you need around 60 acres at least under roof. Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> at least. Most of my peers you know, uh, app harvests and the, and the revels and the, uh, all of those local bounties, they're all producing 60 acre greenhouses and it's, and it's because that's what's required to get the economies of scale that they need for investors. Right. Well, if you're building 60 acres of anything, you're not anywhere near a population center where you can eliminate transportation costs. Right. Right. Um, and so uh, that's a, that's a very difficult proposition. And then just the economics of greens doesn't that's expensive to have yeah. 60 acres of land. Right. Right. So you're not solving you're not solving for transportation and then to find 60 acres in the labor to man those 60 acres uh, is very difficult as well in this environment. So greenhouses, they're economical doesn't supply for supply, doesn't uh, solve for supply issues, transportation issues, doesn't solve for labor issues. Right. On the other end of the spectrum, you see kind of the, you know, in Wired Magazine and wherever these huge vertical greenhouses, they're all indoors, Mm -hmm. they're in warehouses, they're like on bunk beds of greens, 36 feet high in the air, right? Yeah. Those are really great too, because all of a sudden you're shrinking the the, the, footprint. the footprint, right? And you would think that's a good thing. The problem is every time you look at one of those lights, think of electricity costs and think of purchase costs for those lights and then multiply it by the hundreds of thousands yeah, of geez. lights that are in one of those. And if it's really expensive to build and it's really expensive to operate because all of the electricity costs- yeah how does that make anything what you're selling affordable for the mass, for the general population? It doesn't, right? So they're all, those folks, in order to be remotely profitable and no one that I know in the vertical space is profitable yet, they have to sell really high-end, fixed cost, super premium products. And, you know, I'll be honest, like that, that may work well in New York, I was going to say that's a sliver of the marketplace, right? Sliver of the marketplace. So what if you could combine the economics of a greenhouse and the use of sunlight with the density and the footprint of a vertical farm? And that's what we've done. So we literally have a vertical farm, but within a greenhouse. The next question usually is, well, why doesn't everyone, why isn't this done before? Right. That was my next question. It sounds really simple to do. It's mm-hmm. actually insanely difficult. So difficult. We have a patent on it. I was going to say, this is all proprietary technology. This is all guys. proprietary. So we've spent the last, you know, the two brothers and then and then the company have spent, has spent the last number of years perfecting this to a point now where uh, each one of our greenhouses is, is highly profitable. 
And uh, they're going to all be located a sub mile to a distribution center. Wow. So when you're sub mile to a distribution center, you eliminate the transportation cost entirely because you take advantage of the existing logistics yeah. that that distribution center has, right? The grocery trucks go out full to the, gro- to the grocery stores mm-hmm. and they come back empty. Well, right before they come back, they just stop by our uh, greenhouses, pick up the greens and then go to the distribution center. So we wow. tapped in to an existing cost structure and it costs the grocers, the distributors, the retailers, no more money in terms of transportation and shipping to get ours uh, than, than they're already spending. And you're getting it days, not hours, weeks, week. days or weeks earlier than you would. Weeks earlier. Yeah. Weeks earlier. That's yeah. remarkable. So we'll, now we'll you go, are talking fresh. Yeah. So, so, uh, and local, right. So, and local. um, so we'll, we can go from harvest to shelf in about 72 hours. Wow. Yeah. That's almost farm to table on a humongous scale on a, on a commercial scale. Yeah. So that's fantastic. the net net of that is because of our cost structure, because we're sub mile to distribution centers and because we eliminate that supply chain, um, time and supply chain, it's actually really affordable for the for the general population. Like we're really, we're probably 10 cents, maybe 20 cents off from conventional pricing. Wow. So think of that. You're getting a better, more fresh product that much quicker. And the price is basically flat. That's remarkable. So yeah. now you have a proof of, it's almost like you have, correct me if I'm wrong, a proof of concept. Mm-hmm. So now you can, you can drop one of these, one of your greenhouses with your tech anywhere. Yeah. So that's our, that's, that's our the idea, that's, right? That's where we're headed. Right. So, so we've Exciting. got, uh, we just launched our, our uh, second facility, which is uh, the first commercially like total hundred percent commercial uh, focused facility. It's our, but it's our second greenhouse. Uh, we just launched that three weeks ago and uh, we are sold out. Ah. Uh, and so uh, on, on, on favorable long-term contracts. And so um, we're, we're building our next ones, right? And I'm in the middle of a series B raise uh, to, to build uh, up, to, up to six greenhouses uh, in this next series. And then from there, we'll do another raise uh, to build about 20 and then we'll just go on and on. And the idea is to have uh, 40 of these in five years. It's pretty 40 aggressive. Five years. That is aggressive. And is this something that is this getting the attention of the big guys, Kroger and, and yeah, that level? So the, the, the biggest of the big uh, are our customers. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we're, we're pretty excited about that. I would say the other, the thing that's, uh, you know, people ask, well, where can you buy it? Uh, and we're the, the great thing about our, about our model is, is we want to be greenhouses infrastructure. So uh, we, we are white labeling and private labeling for store brands oh, and for distributor brands. Uh, and there's a reason for that, right? Um, in, in the business world, uh, building your own brand is very ca- capital inefficient. Yep. And it takes a lot of time, right? And uh, and both of those then affect the consumer negatively in that they don't have access to it, and then it's expensive, right? Uh, so so we've bypassed that by uh, being white label and private label, which uh, honestly we're probably the only ones that can do that in our industry because of our cost structure and how great it is. Uh, so 
the plan is, and and I, I give this anal, uh, this this analogy all the time, but uh, it's a bit like our power, our electricity. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows their distributor. Like here in Texas, it's TXU right. Constellation, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but no one knows the name of the power plant. And no That's one, true. no one cares to know the name right. of the house. My so license in, goes on, good. In, in much the same way, everyone will know the name of our distributors and of our retailers, but no one will necessarily know that it's right. Eden Green. And right. we're totally it's, fine with that. Yeah, I've got the best lettuce going. I don't care where it came from. It's yeah. super fresh and I got it from where, oh, that's, that's fantastic. And one of the things I love about what you guys are doing is, is you definitely have like a corporate responsibility thing where you're giving back, uh, you're giving yeah. back to nonprofits. So, uh, that's a, that's a, it's a built in so that what I've tried to do with the company is really build into our business model, the core values, instead of trying to adjust, uh, core values to, to what our business can take. So, uh, and a good example of that is, is what you mentioned is the giving back piece. So most engineers, if you just look at it from an engineering perspective and from a, um, from a business perspective, you want to maximize output hundred percent right. of the greenhouse, you know, hundred percent all the time, 24, seven, 365. Well, if you're a farmer, a farmer will never commit a hundred percent of their total output because they know it's a living organism and they're going to always be buffer. Mm -hmm. So a good farmer will only commit about 90% of their harvest, their projected harvest, because they know 10% is just going to go wrong, but you want to, you want to grow for a hundred percent, right? Sure. So in the same way we grow for a hundred percent, but we only commit in our pro formas, in our projections, everything, it only accounts for 90% of our produce. Uh, And so we use that 10% 10% as buffer. Uh, and, you know, just in case things go wrong, but more often than not, they don't. Uh, and so we give that 10% away. That's fantastic. So literally have your own secret sauce, uh, yeah. which, which is creating this and that, that shrinks that 10% of shrinkage or spoilage or whatever, that's probably not going to happen very often. Thanks to your technology and you're giving back. That's, that's terrific. So, Tell me what are some of the big lessons that you've learned as a leader over the last three years? Oh man, uh, that's a that's a jam packed. That question. is a jam packed mouthful. I bet. Uh, man, I would say that the 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 biggest probably I would, is I, I came on three months before the pandemic happened. Yeah, uh, and so I think I think there's a I've learned that. I, I didn't have any control to begin with. And I, I, I just don't have any control, right. Um, over, over things external to me. Yeah. Uh, and so I think for me, knowing that there are just so many variables out there, even before the pandemic, just in terms of, you know, market variables, and then you throw yeah. in the pandemic and inflation and everything else. Um, I just had to, I had to trust that, uh, the values and the focus and the goals of the team uh, that we would just remain focused on those, right. Remain focused on the big goals of the team. Um, And, you know, especially in our situation, it's easy to go chase revenue. It's easy to chase that, that, you know, that quick, quick hit of Mm -hmm. cash infusion or the quick Mm -hmm. revenue source. Uh, But 
but our team has stayed really, really focused on and kept their eye on the prize, which is, Hey, how can we change the way that we're farming food and feeding people? And then even within that, you know, uh, what is the, what's the, the varietal, what's the produce, what's the skew, what's the channel that makes the most sense for us and not to be distracted from it and go try to chase after, you know, quick revenue. So I think the net net of that is, whereas other, uh, and then I would say the other, the other thing too, it's, it was really easy to raise money, uh, prior to about, I don't know, beginning of the year, right. Really cheap, easy money out there. Lots of liquidity sloshing around. It's gotten a lot harder. Yeah. Um, but when I came on board, I emphasized the whole time I was emphasizing profitability and, and unit economics and in a world that was not even paying attention to economics, nor was it really even concerned about profitability. And when they were raising money, I felt like a, a little bit about like a lone profit in the wilderness. <laughs> well, fast forward two and a half years, yeah. all of a sudden we are in a very, very strong position because we spent the last two and a half years optimizing for pro- pro- for profitability and not for kind of flash in the pan uh, exposure. Uh, and so we're, we're in a really good place. And had we not focused on that, had we tried to chase after the easy money, had we tried to overstate what we can do, had we tried to, you know, um, go after crazy, huge valuations, I think this company would have been in a lot different place. Well, and that's great advice. I, I think regardless of what in, industry, including nonprofits, I mean, the idea of sticking to your core values, not losing focus. Those are, that's a universal business uh, principle. Uh, And speaking of which, what, what have been some, you know, leadership principles that you've really leaned on since you've been at Eden Green? Uh, I would say, um, you know, there's a, I would say on authenticity and communication. And so what I mean by that, I'll unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So there's a difference between authenticity and transparency. And uh, that you want to be authentic, but you don't necessarily need to be transparent because there's there's uh, information that's either incomplete or uh, in motion that if you were transparent with your team, it would pro- kind of send them into a tizzy, right? It would be so chaotic. Um, and so as, as a leader, uh, I, I think people want to see, especially during these times, calm, steady leadership. Uh, and and a big Great. part of calm, steady leadership is taking in all the information and then being thoughtful and authentic about what you're telling the team, good, bad, or ugly, right? Yep. Uh, and so I think from a leadership principle, learning to be authentic uh, versus you know, holding all the cards close to the, close to the vest or even versus full transparency, uh, I think has been a good, uh, leadership lesson for me. And what it's, what it's done is for the team, it's given them confidence where we're going and it's given them most importantly, not the what or the how, but the why when teams know the why Makes a huge and, difference. And it's and it's cogent and it's articulate uh and it's not beaten around the bush. Uh they're they're more likely to stay engaged, to be inspired, to work and grind through the really hard seasons if they know the why. Uh, and so you can only you can only really trans communicate 
that why uh, if if you're authentic. I love that because, you know, so much we hear so much about transparency, uh, but I think that's a, a great distinction between being authentic and being transparent. As an old PR guy, there was just times where you you couldn't tell people stuff that you knew. Right. Uh, but you had to be authentic and say, listen, I just, you know, you had to be authentic. So there is a difference. And I, I agree that it's it's super important. So that that's that's master level stuff. I love it. What really excites you about the future? of Eden Green? Uh, what excites me is growth. Uh, just the the ability to, uh, you know, plant 40 of these in five years, the ability, just the thought of knowing that, I mean, get get this stat, I could, I could deploy a billion dollars worth of capital. Wow. In terms of greenhouse construction. And that would only capture 6% of the lettuce market, domestic, domestic, not international, just domestic lettuce. So you got a ways to go. (laughs) It's, it's so wide open. Right. And so when you see that, when you see that wide open field and, and we've got the ball and we're running with it, that is, it's exciting. One of the tricks must be not to get ahead of yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, we we've really had to pace ourselves uh, even in this in even in this round. And again, I think it goes to there's a there's a financial discipline, and then there's also a discipline um, and a and a I would say an allegiance to the team. Like if I if I promise more than we can deliver, it's mm-hmm. going to burn the team out. Yep. Um, it's going to cut corners on safety and on uh, on quality, and then ultimately that'll hurt the end consumer, and it'll right. hurt hurt our partners' trusts in us to to grow consistently. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I think you know, uh, there's there's definitely a bit of not wanting to get over our ski tips, if you yep. will, mm-hmm. uh, and and to be uh, to be thoughtful about growth, being aggressive, right? but at the same time be, being thoughtful. And that has to be your, your largest responsibility in the, at this phase right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll change gears a little bit as, as I wind things down and, and respect your time. Tell me what's something you will read, listen to, or watch today. Uh, all in podcast. Uh, if you've ever listened or heard of that, it's a bunch of Silicon Valley guys, uh, who've all done really well, uh, some of them are in the PayPal mafia. Some of them, you know, started multiple, multiple companies. Uh, that's just a great podcast on all things macro economy, as well as high growth tech. It's called all in podcast. Yeah. The all in podcast. I'm writing that one down. Awesome. So can you think of who's been really been a role model for you in your career as you, as you've climbed to the position you're in? Yeah, uh, so many role models. Uh, I've had presidents, um, heads of state, uh, you know, secretary Secretary of State Powell, uh, one in particular. But I would actually say that the one that uh, has stuck with me, his words have stuck with me since I was in college, was a guy named Ford Madison. He was probably seventy years old when I was a sophomore in college. Uh, and I was looking, I'd, I 
had learned very early on to ask around for mentors, e- even back then. Um, and so when I was at, at Texas a and I, I was asking someone in, I think it was in my church or something like, hey, I, I want to be mentored. And they said, hey, go, go talk to Ford, 70-year-old guy. So probably, you know, 50-year f- age difference. And he would meet with me every, he would buy me breakfast every Tuesday morning because what college student right. a free <laughs> breakfast say. at Denny's? So I would eat whatever I wanted. He would just order it for me. And he would sit across the table from me uh, with, with a cup of hot water and lemon. That was his ah. deal. And uh, and he would just, I would ask him questions and he would impart wisdom. And one of the things that uh, he said to me that's really stuck and that I try to pass on to folks who are you know a couple steps behind me is he said, Eddie, you know, in, in the career, in your career life cycle, uh, that you can put those in stages and, and he equated them to guns. I maybe use a different uh, analogy these days, but we're in Texas, so I'll still use it. <laughs> um, so your twenties are like a buckshot and it's just boom, you know, eight or nine different say yes to everything, right? Just try all the different things. You may feel yourself losing traction, career traction behind your colleagues who just have been, you know, straight, but it makes for a more interesting life. I'll just put it that Mm -hmm. your thirties, it's more like a revolver. You've got five or six shots you can shoot from in your thirties, right? Maybe four, you know, if you're really kind of dialed in, but you, every two years, you see it, right? You see yep. folks kind of jumping, jumping to new jobs every two years. Um, and that's appropriate, right? You're still trying to, you're trying to find the two Figure or three things that really interest you. And then your forties on is a rifle shot and your forties and fifties, especially you may have three rifle shots mm. in your forties and fifties. You may have two rifle shots in your forties and you may have one in your fifties and you may have another one in your sixties. Right. Right. But really it's just like, man, go for it, be dialed in. Um, and that really, really helped me as a framework, uh, during, especially during my thirties, because I was like, man, what am I doing? Yeah. I'm a bit of in the, in, the, in the wilderness, right. Of, of the career. And I just had to trust what he said, like, Hey, it's all right. You're going to go through four or five, maybe even six different jumps in it. And it's all right. Um, but just be prepared and have your eye. So that in your forties, it's a rifle shot and true to form, man. Um, my twenties were, <laughs> my twenties were a buckshot. Um, <laughs> my thirties, uh, I tried three or four different things. Uh, and then, and then my forties onward had been, had been very, very focused. I've had fortunately in my forties, I've had two different shots, if you will. Uh, and this shot being, uh, I think will carry me for a little bit. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that one. And other than Eden green, is there a partner organization or another organization out there that you really admire the work they're doing? Yeah, I'm I'm biased because I'm on the board, uh, but Seed Effect, uh, I love I love what they're doing. Um, Missy Williams is the executive director, and she had a heart a long time ago to empower women in South Sudan. She went on a mission trip and just saw how uh, the vast majority of that population uh, that were that were earning were women uh, for 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 various reasons, most notably a civil war. A lot of the men had been either taken, dead, missing, or they were there, but they were totally emasculated. Uh, so uh, this this organization does uh, savings groups and microfinance loans in the 
one of the most unstable parts of the world. Wow. Uh, and, and they're doing it right now in the, in the refugee camps in Northern Uganda, and they're about to wow. get back into South Sudan. That's uh, and, and they're, man, the success rate of these savings groups, what they've been able to provide in terms of not just financial empowerment, but honestly, dignity. Right. And, 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 and worth, uh, to these women, uh, and to the, the folks in these savings groups has been fantastic. So I love what they're doing. Changing a generation. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Fantastic. So the last one, if anybody wants to learn more about Eden green or, or, or you or the what's happening, how do they find you? So edengreen.com, uh, like Garden of Eden, green, colorgreen.com uh, is the best place to find out what we do. Uh, if you're on the socials, it's Eden Green Tech. Uh, and then and then my personal one is, is my last name, badrina.com. And you can kind of find everything else out there for, about me on that on that website. Awesome. We'll put all that in the show notes. Eddie, grateful for your time today. I've learned a ton. Super inspired by what you're doing. Keep up the great work and good luck. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for listening, and I hope you learned some great leadership lessons from Eddie like I did. This podcast is brought to you by JC Charity and Event Services. If you're interested in how I can bolster your efforts or help your team achieve its goals, I'd love to have a conversation with you. You can find me at makingourworldbetter.com. To learn more about Eden Green and the company's incredible technology, visit edengreen.com. Check the show notes for links, and if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be grateful if you'd share it with a friend. Until next time, I hope you're inspired to find a way to make our world better.